sometimes I wonder why I spent the lonely Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I'm your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my main man, Steve Apostolopoulos. What's happening, brother? Hey, Foltz. What's happening with you, man? Oh, a lot of good stuff going on, but the best part is that we're here in the studio and we're about to put out another awesome, awesome podcast. I'm excited about today because it covers a uh, wide variety of uh, different movies that I love. Um you know, I'm sure you can tell by the title that we're going to be talking about like cryo sleep today, which is you know the futuristic sci-fi way of traveling from who knows one galaxy to another one day, uh, just being put into almost like a anesthesia type sleep, making you just sleep the whole duration because you know me and Steve were talking about this. We love this topic, but we were thinking that. You know, Cryo sleep is probably the best way to go, especially if you're going to be going on like even even like on a trip to Mars where it's what like eight months, Steve. I think three months there. Three months, okay. But even three months. Imagine being like in a sardine can for three months with like four or five other people. Just I would think like after a week you'd just be like, all right, I've heard this story. You stink. You snore, and I don't even want anything to do with you anymore. I agree that the biggest part, I think, is the mental health issue. Yeah, you would start to crack. I mean, people with families, I mean, even as much as you love your family, there's times you're just like, all right, I, I, I'm going to go do something without any of you. I can't imagine this, the size of a vessel that, you know, you would need, say, say there's 11 people in your, in your uh, spaceship and you need everybody for the mission that you're going to do when you get to Mars. Right. But you don't need everybody on the way there and maybe you need a pilot you need maybe a chief medical officer and then there's like nine other people that are really they have nothing to do even if you gave them busy work they would still be just be getting on each other's nerves they totally would i mean it's reminiscent to you know one of my one of my favorite sci-fi movies passengers where um if you haven't seen it there's going to be some spoiler alerts right now but uh um chris pratt is he uh, the movie starts up? He wakes up from from cryo sleep. Um, his his hibernation pod fails, so he wakes up like ninety years too early, and you can imagine everything that ensues from there. But it's a great great movie. But uh, even on there, they were going to be in cryo sleep for a hundred and twenty years, and they were only going to be woken up like ninety days prior to reaching um, Homestead Two, which was like this new planet that they found. Um, and then from 90 days, it was more or less going to be like a cruise atmosphere where you're just mingling and stuff like that. But like all like the officers and medical physicians were going to be woken up a month prior to them being woken up so that everything on board would be running smoothly when everybody comes out of cryo sleep. But, um, it's, it's interesting because like me and Steve were talking about in pre-show that artificial intelligence is going to have to have a huge role in in cryo sleep. Oh yeah. You're going to need to have... AI driving all of the functions that are normally a part of human life. You're going to need a, a tube going in, tube going out. You're going to need a hydration, uh, like a IV. 
but not only just hydration, but probably like a medicine to keep you down. There's a ton, a ton of stuff that AI is going to have to monitor for you. But AI is definitely a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, if he, me and Steve were watching the beginning part of Passengers just before uh, getting started here today, and the pod on there was completely AI. I oh, mean, my gosh. Even up to there was a virtual screen where there was like a you know, an, an AI-generated woman talking to him, but it could answer and recognize questions. It was monitoring his heart and all of his body functions. It gave him a shot to bring him out, and it even looked like his heart wasn't even going because they used like some type of electricity to uh, you know simulate doing um, chest compressions, and you come oh come shocked out of it, and uh, you know then they scan him or or the the pod that he's still in lets him know that he's in perfect human health. Yeah, it was an interface that was actually a hologram, so it was right. definitely a futuristic AI. Yeah, great, great movie. I got one here for you. I was just thinking about this while you were telling that story. So, say a normal lifespan, I don't know what the average is now, maybe 78 years, something like that. Well, if you're in cryo for a long duration, does that change how you keep track of your Earth years? That's a good question. They they bring that up in uh, the movie Interstellar at the end. Because um, for him, he was gone two years but due to the gravitational pull of this black hole that they went around, it extended his trip by like 80 years. And when he woke up in the hospital, they were like, uh, he was going to get out, and they were like, uh, please take take it easy. Uh, you're no spring chicken anymore. You're 125 years old. But to him, <laughs> he only aged two years. So I, I, I guess you would have to. I mean, if you're going to be chronologically i mean people would laugh at you you know unless it was you know this cryo sleep was something that became you know mainstream but if you know, like we met somebody that looked our age and they're like yeah i'm 125 years old you'd be like how is that they go oh, well i was in cryo sleep and then i you know the or, or the gravity around black hole <laughs> and it, I, was, I was on a planet that every 1.25 seconds was a day on earth yeah it would be unreal to think that like it would it would it would change your bracket. It would change your demographic. Like if you were trying to get insurance, like life insurance or something, and you were like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm 91, but you're actually, you know, in the body of a, a 40, mid-40s, and, you know, you're 91. People would be like, well, you have to pay, like, the maximum price. Like, oh, but why? You'd definitely be like, well, I'm coming in for a health check. Yeah, I'd be like, well, here's the story. You know, I was in a spacecraft. Just saying that would be so crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, and from, you know, the research that, that we have for you today, doesn't seem like it's too far off. I mean, scientists have been learning a lot. Um, interesting differences in, in, like, sci-fi versus, like, passengers versus interstellar. If you've seen interstellar, when they're going down, they call it the big nap for two years, and they climb into this capsule, which is in water. Um, it's, like, warm water which almost contradicts some of the information that we have today. But again, it's just a movie. And then they get zipped up in this pod, and then you can set when you want to wake up. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy because you can just skip years. Well, like Fultz was saying in pre-show, it's like the concept of it is like the concept of anesthesia. And I know that many of our listeners have been under anesthesia for one reason or another. I know that when I had my wisdom teeth taken out that I was under. And it's no time at all. Right. You're closing your eyes and then you're opening your eyes. 
they ask you to count backwards from 100. You, you, I mean, you don't even get to 90. Oh, yeah, like 97 or 6 maybe. And you're you're done. And then the next thing you know, you open your eyes. And there's usually, I would think, somebody there to welcome you back. And, hey, you know, everything's done. You, you had a great, you know, whatever procedure it was. Like, everything's fine. You just need to stay here. You're a little groggy right now. Don't try to stand up. But. Yeah, I mean, it feels like no time at all. Well, uh, yeah, and I, and I think that the same could be said for uh, you, know, you know medical patients that have been in a coma. Uh, I was watching something, and this soldier was talking about when he was in Iraq, and his Humvee hit an explosive, an ID, and uh, he was like, uh, the Humvee blew up in March of 2010. He was like, and I woke up in March of 2011. Oh. So he missed an entire year due to this horrible, horrible... Uh, well, war incident, and uh, yeah, I mean, just just think about a year versus like the like we were talking about in passengers. They were going to be in cryosleep for 120 years, and the girl in the movie, she was actually doing like a round trip. She was going 120 years in cryo, spending a year on this new planet, and then immediately turning around and going back to Earth. So when she got back, it'd be 250 years in the future. Oh, the, the society would not even... Imagine 250 years in the past for us. I mean, there's things that I can't figure out on a computer or uh, you know, smartphone that I have to have my kids help me with. I couldn't imagine. That would be at the birth of the nation. Yeah, it would almost be like... Um, Sylvester Stallone in um in the movie he wakes uh, up he's Demolition like, Man yeah he's like he doesn't know what the three seashells are in the bathroom is that right. a toilet paper Taco like, I'm gonna want to take you to Taco Bell yeah and he thinks he's going to eat tacos but it just took over as like a, an industrial uh, uh, company and they owned everything but I mean that's an issue with hibernation that would have to be addressed is is there a culture shock that's so great that people can't overcome it or maybe adaptability because I mean humans. We're adaptable creatures. We have vigor. Um, maybe it, you can just go to <clears throat> 250 years in the future and kind of just catch up real quick. Yeah, I mean, it would. It, it almost seems like um, to an individual, it's the closest thing that if if when if when this is perfected, it's the closest thing to being able to time travel into the future. Oh, that's right. I mean, they put you under, and if say 120 years. You close your eyes, and it seems to you like you just open them right back up, and it's 120 years later. I mean, that's that, probably the closest you're going to get. He, yeah, I mean, and you know, it's it. Of course, it'll always be into the future, but uh, yeah, it would be it'd be you'd have to almost not have any family because you'd be like, okay, well, once I go to sleep, everybody that I've ever known is going to perish. Yeah, but also they would have that physical uh, body, that, that physical thing that they would, that would carry on. So your children's children would always know that at some point grant, my great-grandpa is going to wake up. And when he does, because my dad told me so much great stuff about him, I'm going to feel great about him too. And I'm going to want to cherish him and put him you know, on a pedestal and like, – it would be cool to be welcomed back into your own family and be able to see that far down into a generation or two generations later and still be really well-renowned. Yeah, like a, like a great-grandchild is telling the great-great-grandchild, this man is amazing. I mean, my father told me that growing up with him as his father, you know— it's the closest we're ever going to be to what it was like back when they were growing up. And right. He's got some stories to tell. Definitely. So, I mean, 
can it be done? Uh, I think that it can. Um, look at all the, I mean, from sci-fi from the beginning, you know, as early back as like Buck Rogers and, uh, and uh, Star Trek and, and, and even Star Wars. I mean, some of the things that they were doing there are, have been done or being discussed being done, like even like warp drive and such. Uh, Elon Musk is working on something that he said, if, he could, if, if perfected, you could travel from the earth to the moon in one second. Well, that's the, that's the speed of light because it's 230,000 miles to the moon. So, I well, mean... And they, also the comms, their, their communication devices, right. when they were looking at their picture or the video like in their hand, right. we have that now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as far as gosh, if uh, if Nikola Tesla's information would have been able to be made public, people would have had iPhones in the twenties. And the scans they do medical scans um, with handheld devices. We have those scans. They are not in handheld devices yet, right? But we still are able to look inside and diagnose, you know, things in the body with our our uh, CATs and MRIs and. We have scans now that, that do that. Yeah, I mean, if you look, you know, the year's 2023. If you think to 1923, uh, how much has changed in technology? Well, imagine if you were put in cryosleep and woke up 100 years from now. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it would be almost in comparison. It'd be unrecognizable. And what well, it's like, um, like uh, oh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but said that, you know, se- severe technology one day is going to be indistinguishable from from magic right so i mean for you to wake up in cryosleep in 100 years 120 years uh it would seem like magic i mean the, the types of things that you could do be crazy well plus you won't have the uh ability to have your knowledge build on itself so <coughs> einstein was the one that said it <laughs> like when microsoft windows and office came out and everybody figured out where the start button was and how to drop down a menu i mean now that whatever windows 15 or whatever is out like we've all been there to build on that knowledge through a lifetime of using it but if you were to just walk into it without even seeing a a software package or something and to try and learn everything all at once it would be incredibly hard yeah if you took somebody from the 20s and they came out of cryosleep and you brought them in here to the studio, and we sat them down at the computer, and we're like, okay, first thing you want to do is open up a window. He'd be like, what does that help with, like, the transmission <laughs> or something? Do you want to get some fresh air? Yeah. It would be absolutely clueless. So, I mean, very exciting to think about. Um, and, I, you know, we, ha- we have it in a certain way dealing with uh, you know, certain animals on our planet that actually hibernate. And that's what we're hoping to be able to bring to our astronauts is that, you know, that astronauts will be able to hibernate on long space flights. And um, some say that it's not just sci-fi and we could be testing it in the next three years. I'm going to go over some of the information that that we've compiled. Uh, Hibernation, it's also known as torpor, has long been a staple of sci-fi space movies from Alien to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Fictional space travelers have crossed vast distances, cocooned, unconscious inside high-tech pods, while AI machines and android robots keep their spacecraft on a steady course. Now, despite being a sci-fi trope, putting humans into long-term induced torpor may not be a far-fetched idea. After all, 
Jennifer Noan, a research and payload coordinator of human and robotic exploration at ESA and co-author of a recent paper outlining the space agency's approach to hibernation research, told Space.com that depending on funding availability, the first human torpor trials could take place as early as the mid-2030s. That's soon, man. That's re- I mean, seven years from now. Oh, my gosh. You know, Ten years, if it's saying mid, I mean, mid to beginning. Now, of course, we need to fine-tune everything before we can apply it to humans. But I would say that ten years is a realistic timeline. That's crazy. It's very crazy. I mean, I mean I'll mean, i be 58, 57. Oh, wait. How old am I in 10 years? 56 in 10 years. I mean. We could put you in torpor. So torpor is just like uh, hibernation, right? Yeah, torpor is hibernation. Now, uh, let's see. Now, the fine-tuning is already underway. The first studies have shown that it's impossible to induce torpor in otherwise non-hibernating animals, such as rats, and bring them safely back to life a few days later. The process of triggering hibernation is rather intricate and involves reduced exposure to daylight and a period of intense feeding followed by strict fast. The rats received a drug and a neurotransmitter substance and are brought into a dark space with reduced temperature. Now, Jürgen Breiter-Hahn, professor emeritus and neuroscientist at the Cell Biology at Goethe University in Frankfurt, Germany, and also a member of ESA's hibernation research group, told space.com in an interview that it works very nicely but the problem is that you have to apply the signaling molecule repeatedly to maintain that state you need to maintain high levels of the neurotransmitter and that could have deteriorating effects over a longer term which means if you have to keep applying this which means you'll be kind of coming out of torpor in and out so that would mean that you're still aging it means that they haven't just gotten it right yet, but that neurotransmitter, if they can tweak that a little bit, keep it at a sustained level, keep that person down for a sustained amount of time, I mean, those are hurdles you got to get through, right? Yeah, I mean, it would, it, again, referencing uh, passengers, I mean, they seem like they stopped their heart. So it almost seems like you need to be in just complete stasis of, I mean, your, your body's technically dead, but maybe there's something you know keeping brain activity going. Yeah, I don't know how it would work. I mean, you would just go into a different a different state of being if there's blood not pumping through there, your heart's not pumping. If your molecule if your uh cells don't need to have if your cells are staying alive and they don't need to have fresh oxygen or anything uh that blood carries through, then that's fine. I mean, your brain goes into a pause mode and you're out. Yeah. I mean, uh why don't uh, why don't you talk a little bit about why we want to make people hibernate? So why do we want to make people hibernate? Well, the question is whether induced torpor could ever be safe enough to administer to space travelers in tiny spacecraft with minimal minimal medical supervision and equipment. So Dr. Noan sees the problem from a different perspective. Torpor, she said, could in fact be the only way for long-duration space missions. Loss of bone and muscle mass is a big issue for spacefarers. Even at the International Space Station, where high-tech fitness machines are available and strict exercise protocols are followed, 
Astronauts lose up to 20% of their muscle mass in a month. That's huge, folks. That's big time. I mean, it, you would look um, uh, like a skeleton almost. Yeah, you would look emaciated. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. 20% of their muscle mass in a month. That's terrible. Their bones get gradually weaker, too. Footage of crews returning to the Earth frequently show fragile beings transported by medical personnel in wheelchairs and stretchers. But there will be no support crews waiting for them at the landing of Mars. So basically meaning that you got to get yourself in gear when you come out of this stasis. I mean, that would be so hard to go into stasis knowing that when you're opening your eyes, well, they would still probably have like an AI being there. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain they would. I mean, AI is going to play a big role into actually even going to Mars. Yeah, and then you they would probably just be able to say like, all right, this is the part where you need to like put your hand over here, like push up on this. Yeah. Uh, or, man. you know, and, and remind you to drink like a certain fluid, like make sure you stay hydrated. Right. Drink this. Um, Imagine that cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, bing! I'd be like, I feel great. They were like, uh, we were warned the first thing not to do would be drink coffee. Like, why? And you just see like this person freaking out. That's why. <laughs> Bouncing off the walls. I love caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess uh, what, they, what they're saying that the real problem for astronauts in microgravity, this was stated by uh, Breiter Hahn, astronauts need to train a lot because otherwise they would really have a serious problems when they get back to gravity conditions. Now, research shows that the effects of microgravity on the human body resemble those of long-term bed rest. Strangely, bed rest while hibernating doesn't seem to result in such effects at all. Unlike a patient recovering from a long illness or medical coma, an animal waking up from hibernation shows surprisingly high fitness levels. When animals wake up from hibernation, they, are very, they very quickly remember their surroundings, Noan said. Within seconds, they remember where they hid their food before they went into hibernation, and they actually don't suffer much muscle loss, which is quite surprising after months of just lying there and sleeping in a cave. I mean, like that you don't get stiff. Like I got a bad back as it is. I can't imagine after waking up from a couple months, I'd be like, oh. Well, it's a six. I mean, they're talking about bears right there. It's a six-month hibernation. I can't imagine like trying to find a hole or a spot for myself that I feel confident no one's going to mess with me for From six January months. From January to June. Right. Like six months is a long time. Something's going to come walking by here and see me and start poking at me or something, biting me, eating me, yeah, stinging uh, me. Yeah. you would For humans, anyway, you would definitely have to have uh, some type of really big seclusion. Like, but versus bears. I mean, people that are that are spend a lot of time in the forest or in the woods, if they came across a cave during hibernation, don't go in there. There's a bear in there, I'm sure, hibernating. You know, we would avoid that versus other humans would come in, you know, and probably like poke you with sticks and I've been mess in a cave. With you. you know what? It's hard not to go into a cave. When you find a cave, the first thing you want to do is go into it. No one ever says, Let's not go into the cave. Hey, there's a cave. Don't go in there. <laughs> no, of course I'm gonna go in there. I wanna go in there. That's the coolest thing in the world, man. It's a cave. Like it's filled with bats and bat guano and spiders that kill you. It's like, like a house in nature. Like, I'm not gonna go in that far. Or <laughs> <laughs> you know it, you're spelunking and you got your head your headlamp on. Yeah. Yeah, you wanna continue? Yes. So uh we were just talking about sleeping in the cave. Researchers think that the key to the pro protective effects of the torpor state is its physiologic 
its physiology. Although hibernation superficially resembles sleep inside the body, the process works in a completely different way. Unlike a sleeping brain, a hibernating brain produces barely any electromagnetic activity. The heart rate of an animal in torpor drops to only a few beats per minute, and its body temperature declines to what would otherwise be considered dangerous hypothermia. Even the cells that make up the animal's body stop their usual business of processing or creating nutrients, dividing, and dying. By all biological measures, the torpor state is almost like hitting the pause button on life. That would be nice. Hell yeah. yeah I would start getting older and be like, you know what? Or, or if you, I mean, if you were in really bad health, and let's say one of your children was going to give birth to their to your first grandchild in like nine months, and they're like, oh, well, the doctor said you're only going to live two. Ugh. Be like, well, I want to be able to see this child. I'm going to put myself into torpor. Wake me when the baby's born. I'll experience it, and then I'll have like two months with it. Imagine being a fan of the future, which I would say it's safe to say that you and I are both fans of the future. Definitely. You could you could work. Get enough money, hit the pause button on life, unpause in five years. You would be able to pay for everything, you know, with the amount of money that you already had. Start a business or whatever you do. Get a bunch of money. Go back into it and just keep prolonging it outward till you get to that part we were talking about. Like, oh, I am 141 years old. Like, Wake me up for a period of during like Thanksgiving through New Year's. <laughs> then put me back under. That's all I really need to see. Give me like uh, one week in July. Yeah, people say, you know, how many Christmases do you think you have left? I'm like, I think infinite. I got like 150 left in me. I feel good. <laughs> I only wake up for Christmas. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> now, let's see. Where are we at? Oh, so we know from studies that it reduces the lifespan of animals, which normally go into torpor. When they are prevented from going into torpor, Alexander Shoker, a professor of medicine and anesthesiologist, expert at the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich, Germany, who is also a member of the ESA team, told Space.com, when they have these torpor phases in between, the animals can live five years, for example. When the torpor is missing, it could just be four years. So you lose you know, a fifth of your life well, if I, you don't I go mean, into torpor for these animals. Think about a bear that is in the zoo. Like you, you go to Zoo America, whatever, the, the Hershey Park Zoo, and there's a bear I mean, are they going to allow that bear go to go into hibernation? I, I would think that they would have to. I mean, they're conservationists at heart, so right. I would think that they would want to. But maybe being in that setting prevents them from that. I don't know. That's a good. We'll have to research that a little bit more and see if. I mean, we're so close to Hershey. Next yes. time we go to Zoo America, we should. But does this bear go into hibernation? <laughs> does anybody have any questions about the bears? <laughs> yeah, we got some questions about the bears. <laughs> Stick a mic right in their face and be like, "Well, you're going to make sure you say what you really mean." So, okay, so let's get back into, so this pause button, quality of the torpor state is key to its promise for spaceflight missions. The hibernating astronaut in a Mars-bound capsule would not only have the safe, not only save the agency cost on water, food, and oxygen, he or she would most likely wake up rather fit without suffering many of the negative side effects along long-term bed rest or living in microgravity. In fact, studies show that the slowed-down selves of a hibernating body don't get damaged by radiation, which is one of the biggest health concerns during long-duration space missions. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going to save on food, save on water, save on oxygen, 
not get any of the negative side effects of long-term bed rest, not get, um, they said it also helps in prevention of radiation. I think it's a win-win, man. That's what you want to do. 100%. Let's keep going. So these protective properties make hibernation a fascinating possibility, not just for spaceflight, but also for medicine. Like, just like astronauts in microgravity, patients in long-term bed rest and those in medically induced coma waste away quickly. The recovery is slow and painstaking. We put people under anesthesia all the time, but they still degrade, said Dr. Shoker. After you leave an intensive care unit, if you're there for a long time, you're like a skeleton because of the degradation metabolism that sets in. To be able to hit the pause button would be a game changer, slowing life's processes, including the degradatorial ones, to a minimum would provide what Brighton Han calls a bridge, a period of time that would allow physicians to look for solutions without racing against the clock. Yeah, that brings to mind like a Walt Disney. They say that he was put in a cryo, but he was more like frozen, right. like in like liquid nitrogen, which, man, I can't imagine your body going being submerged in liquid nitrogen and being able <laughs> to survive that because um, I, I think we were reading that one of the things that happens is that your cells, once you go into the liquid nitrogen, they, they freeze and expand and they, they, that that does like, you know, damage that can't be undone to the human body once you'd wake up you'd be completely messed up and just be kill me yeah they probably pop yeah they could burst as soon as like your body starts thawing and but that was a big thing i think in the 50s when they first figured out that they could cryogenically freeze someone and they were still dealing with um really bad diseases cancers things of that nature they they didn't have diagnoses like we do today they probably still had alzheimer's um, ALS, the the big ones, uh, heart, you know, cardiac strokes, but they weren't really able to diagnose them the way that we are with such precision today. So people were getting cryogenically frozen so that they, they had hopes that there would be a cure for whatever disease that they had in the future and that they would be able to maintain themselves, like their consciousness, and either be put back in their own bodies or have like maybe a DNA strand taken from their bodies have a new body grown for them and just kind of transfer consciousness to a new disease-free body, which is a cool concept, but I don't know about that. It'd be a cool concept in, uh, unless the uh, the duplicate body didn't look like you. I mean, the first time you look in a mirror with your consciousness, you'd freak out. Oh, my gosh, yes. And I think that a lot of the parts of your uh, consciousness are really directly tied into your physical being. Well, sure. I mean, our whole consciousness, um, spirit, soul, whatever you want to call it is trapped inside these meat suits and it's basically how we identify everything now are we evolving as 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 human beings some of us are you know some aren't and uh but yeah i mean our our meat suit for the lack of a better term is basically our identity people just think oh this meat suit and its brain that's this person without thinking about the subconscious the conscious the the soul the spirit the energy which we all are which everything is uh, fascinating. I think the only shot we have at prolonging a consciousness outside of our body is is with computers. I think that the way and the rate at which we are progressing with the information uh, technology age that we are in right now would give us a possibility for the human uh, 
brain to be mapped out, um, which there's so much in, in, it, in it with all of the, the arteries and all of the different um, channels and energy pulses that go through there. But it would be the best chance that we would have at being able to store all of our brain activity and the synapses firing and all of our memories and all the different cerebral cortexes and all the different things that go along with it it would be the closest we would have to maybe a storable memory or a, something big enough to, to handle our consciousness. And then people would even have to, to question at that point, is this more of an AI generated based off of what your uh, what you, what you were like, what your personality was like, or is that really you? There would come become a strong feud, I would think, between scientists and um and religion at that point is like, is it really them? Because they're not in their body anymore. So is that their soul or some AI generated duplication of their personality and that of the like? Right. You would probably have some type of mixture in there where AI is kind of helping you along. But I think that if you, you know, knew, knew someone or know someone and you were able to have that conversation with them within a short amount of time, you would be able to tell. Yeah, I think so. I think so as well. So where are we at here? I didn't. I don't remember where we left off. Game changer. I think uh, we finished with less danger for a patient. So okay. So uh, no, Doctor No on No No on cooling has been used by brain and cardiac surgeons for decades to improve outcomes of complicated surgeries. Now, although most of the current hibernation hibernation research is funded by space agencies and zoology institutions. Chowker thinks that the first human to be put into this paused state of being will most likely be an intensive care patient. Once the first human survives and benefits from torpor, things will likely start moving forward much faster. He says, as it has always happened in medicine, you have to have the first human to be subjected to these conditions. At a certain point, there is a case number, one where you apply the new technique because the risks and benefits are in a balance and leaning more towards the benefits of the subject. And then you can start from there, which is true. It's easy to say that like, oh, yeah, once we do the first one, things will get uh, moving much faster. Well, of course, after you do the first one, the trick is to be able to do the first one. But I think probably what they'll do is have a, have a family that donates a loved one to science because of uh, the fact that they've been in a coma now for 20 years. It doesn't seem like they're coming out. And or you might have somebody uh, volunteer, somebody that's terminal and has a month or two to live. They're like, well, try it and see. see, see let's see what happens. I'm going to die anyway. Let's see if you can somehow preserve me until we can cure this thing. Or if they said, you know, we, we can tell that this has been very traumatic this disease uh taking its toll on your family we'd offer you a monetary uh reward or a monetary payment if we could do this experiment you only have a little bit of time left would you like to do that i mean yeah set your family up permanently and then be like all right maybe i'll see you in the future maybe i won't but right this might be a one-way trip yeah but the, i mean a benefit to that especially somebody that's terminal you could go around and you could have your goodbyes individually with each independent person that you love and has been special in your life. Be like, all right, well, we're going to spend this day together and 
you know, then that's going to be it. That would be uh, – that's pretty morbid to think that way. but It is, it, it but, be, I mean, you, it, it you would, would be you'd a have benefit. so much fun. Yeah, there would be so much benefit to you. You could say goodbye and be like, you know what? You could tell this person everything that you hadn't told them throughout their life. And they would have – and you would have that little um, part of your story to tell that is, hey, I played a huge part in – human torpor becoming a reality yeah and someone brings you up in a story but talking about we'll just use me for an example steve could be like yeah i was fortunate enough to be able to get uh one of the days we had an awesome day and you know we said goodbye it was awesome i always want to look at it as a positive not oh man we only had one last day be like no we had one last day yeah it's a good way to look at it yeah take it away Okay, so Shoker is not worried if medicine doesn't have the complex biological intricacies of the torpor state, including all of its neurotransmitter signaling and environmental factors perfectly nailed down by that time. Patients and astronauts could still benefit, just as they have done from general anesthetics, if for decades. We do anesthesia every day, but we still don't 100% understand how it works, Shoker said. We've gained a lot of knowledge over the past 20 years, but certainly when they first started applying anesthesia, there was no real idea of how it was working in the brain. The researchers, however, agree that for hibernation to be of any use in spaceflight, it would have to work without complicated life support machines and constantly monitored intravenous lines. The journey from patient one to a trip to Mars may therefore take quite a bit longer. We shall see. We shall see what the what the future holds. I mean, there are a lot of benefits to this. I mean, I, I really don't see, as long as your family's okay with it, the really negative side effect of it, especially if they mastered it. And I don't like that last statement either. They're saying that you don't, you can't have these complicated intravenous systems. You can't have this uh, complicated pod. But just as we've seen in our in the movies and the research we've done, you can have those complicated systems you just have to have the technology to support it all yep and the energy to to run it all and to make sure and perfect that nothing's going to interrupt it uh like going back to passengers like a big meteorite punching a hole in the ship and then causing your uh hibernation pod to fail and you wake up 90 years too early that would be a nightmare oh dude that life that guy didn't have enough life to get through those 90 years. Well, speaking of that, we'll close the show out this way. In that movie, he was he was alone by himself for a year. And then he came across this girl that he started. Everybody had like a, uh, like a virtual diary that they had about themselves on board. And he kept watching it. And then finally, he wanted to decide whether or not he would wake them up. Uh, do you think that you would wake somebody up to give you company after a year? I mean, you know you're going to die there. There's no way to get back into cryo sleep. Would you wake somebody up and you basically, it's a death sentence for them. You're stranding them. Right. You're killing that person, but you're making your life way better. Oh, yeah. You're making your life way better, and there's way worse. I mean, you'd almost have to never tell them. You have to let them think that there's malfunction, which... I mean, you know, it's like it's like somebody that's drowning. They're always going to try and pull somebody else down with them. And uh, I think for me personally, not only would I wake one person up, I'd be waking everybody up. <laughs> oh my I'd be gosh. Like, I would because I'd be like, look, my pod malfunctioned. 
and look, we need to uh, we need to work this problem. I'd, I'd probably play it <laughs> off that everybody's pod malfunctions. <laughs> oh my god! Like, oh my god! I can't believe all of our pods malfunction. So let's figure this out. I wouldn't wake her up. I would. Oh. I, would I wouldn't kill her. I wouldn't do it. I would. I would say, you know what? My pod. I got woken up with my pod. I'm going to do the best I can for the crew, for everybody else, and I'm gonna. This is. This is the way. Okay. I mean, so there you have it. Steve wouldn't wake one person up. I'd be waking everybody up. <laughs> so just know if you're ever in cryo sleep on a ship with me, if my pod fails. Yeah, if, they're, if it comes down to ship A or ship B, don't get on Fultz's ship. I'll be waking you up. Come on my ship. Spoiler alert, I will wake <laughs> you up if you get on my ship and my pod malfunctions because... I'm not working this problem by myself. Now we know that about you, folks. And every, and then I'll just let everyone be like, oh, my God. And if this is your AI <laughs> consciousness in the future, I'll ask that question. Thank you. Well, there you go. Because it, the AI version is probably going to give you the, the answer that everyone wants the to PC hear. The PC answer. Versus he woke everybody up. I'd be like, I know what you're going <laughs> to do. He screwed everyone's <laughs> lives. 5,000 passengers have all been woken up because he was lonely. $3 trillion worth of spaceship. Everyone would be like, why couldn't you have just like ejected yourself out the airlock? Nope. Um, well, I'd be like, I considered that. And then I thought, if I just wake everybody up, it'll just be like we woke up 90 days before the trip was supposed to end, except it's 90 years. <laughs> no food. <laughs> but the, the ship was fully stocked in that movie. so For four months. <sighs> well, true. I, well, then, yeah. Maybe I'd wake up like 20. <laughs> <laughs> Would they, he tried to wake up the uh, the crew, but they were behind like some indestructible steel door. He tried blowtorching through it. I mean, he was he was getting ready to wake everybody up. Yeah, he was at that point. I mean, he's just going mad. The only thing he had to talk to was an android. Oh. And drinking. I mean, it would it would get old. So, well, that's it. We uh, we gave our interpretations. That's our show on cryo sleep. And uh, it was a good one. It was fun. I liked it. I liked it, too. So who knows? Maybe somebody in the long-distant future will be listening to this podcast, and they'll start laughing to themselves. Oh, they didn't know how cryosleep worked. That was before cryosleep, kids. Like, wow, man, there's a time before cryosleep. Like, my kids think when I was growing up, it was black and white out. (laughs) So So that was before the internet? (laughs) Yeah. Can you believe there was a time way back in the day? So, well, I hope you all enjoyed the show as much as we did uh, giving it to you. So uh, on that note, I'm Foltz. And I'm Steve. And we'll see you next time. Take care of one another. Bye-bye.